We are in a, a series in the book of Judges, Old Testament book of Judges. Uh, and I know that most people don't get too excited about that. But we're, we're, we're doing a series in the book of Judges where we read about a story about God and his people. And uh, his people are the Israelites. And we read about this story of this cycle that they're in where they keep turning away. And God keeps saving them over and over again. And we've, that's why we've named this series Saved Again. Uh, last week, we talked about Ehud. I don't know if you guys enjoyed last week's very politically incorrect sermon, but I sure did. It was very fun. Uh, the left-handed warrior and how he killed the very fat king, Eglon. Uh, it was amazing just to see how, how much God was in control uh, of everyone's lives, regardless of the situation. And, and so now we're uh, moving to Judges chapter 4, where we're going to see Israel in a bit of trouble again, okay? Have you ever seen someone and maybe someone at your workplace and you go, how did they get this job? Or, you know, when you finish your HSC, uh, for those that are doing the HSC right now, good luck. But you know when the, when, the, when the marks come out and you hear about your friend and you go, how did they get that mark? Or, you know, you, you're watching TV and you see someone famous and you just think, how did you get famous? See, that, I, I get that with the Kardashians. I don't understand. It just, doesn't, it just blows my mind. I just don't understand how they're famous. Because I'm like, if they can be famous, surely I can be famous. You know, I reckon my butts, anyway, we'll get, you know. You know, how about like you're, you're out on a sad day night, you're lonely, you're single, you'd like to mingle, but no one wants to mingle with you. And you see a couple walking down the street and you, you go, wow, that guy is punching above his weight. How is he in a relationship and how am I still single? You know, how, how did he end up with someone like her? It's funny how we don't really think about it, but we make judgment calls like this all of our lives, even if we try not to. And I, ultimately, it's, it's just called stereotyping, right? It's just called stereotyping. Uh, Asians are what? We're accountants or cleaners or auditors. Um, Dutch people three metres tall, and wear wooden clogs. Uh, Caucasian Australians ride around in pouches of kangaroos to get to work. You know, like, th these are some of these stereotypes that exist still, even uh, in our world today. Now, I want to ask this question, because I don't know if you've ever thought this, and maybe you're so loving and gentle and humble that you've never thought this, but I have, okay? It's just a bit of a confession. But... You see someone at church, and they're serving, and you just think, I know you. I know what you're like outside of church. How are you serving? Or how are you the minister? Maybe that's what you think about me. Hey, how? <laughs> and that's okay. You know, I think even when it comes down to God's kingdom, we, we have these stereotypes like, how are you on the praise team? Didn't I see you last Saturday night at Manly? <laughs> Jokes. Sorry, Albert. Jokes. <laughs> yeah. 
I could have been talking about anyone, okay? We have this idea of who can and can't be used by God. As much as we want to admit it or not admit it, we have in our minds a framework of the way God would work. But as we read Judges 4, as we go through the story that we're going to go through today, I'm hoping that God will just smash some of these stereotypes tonight. Not just the way you think about other people, but hopefully even in the way that you think about yourself. Uh, Judges 4, we see the cycle of Israel has started all over again. We've got the cycle up here. This is the cycle. And this is the cycle we're going to see. Okay? Moses has died. Joshua has died. Okay? They're not at king level yet. Okay? So who is ruling Israel? The judges are. Okay? Israel serving the Lord. They're at peace. And then Israel will fall into sin and idolatry. They'll turn away from God. And then God will allow Israel to be taken over by a foreign country. And then Israel will be like, oh no, help me, help me. And then God will hear those cries and raise up a judge. And the judge, through the judge, Israel will be delivered. And then they go back to that. So I want to start with this framework as we go into Judges 4, okay, to give you the picture of it. And then we're going to go into it. So We start off with one, Israel is serving the Lord. Okay, so Ehud, the left-handed warrior, killed the king. 80 years, 80 years of peace. That's a long time of peace. It's the longest time in between any of the judges. 80 years of peace. But Israel, step two, falls into sin and idolatry. Okay, Judges 4, uh, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. Ehud, the, the, the previous judge, okay, was judging well. Okay, but as soon as he died, so did the faithfulness of Israel. They turned straight away from God. So then what happened? Same thing. Israel is enslaved by neighboring countries. And this time we see in verse 2, it says, So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin or Jabin, but I'm Australian. So it's Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, okay, and this is really important, Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in that place. <laughs> Not even going to try. So they're under, they're under now Canaan, okay, the king Jabin, okay, and the commander of his army, Sisera. And we're going to see that they're under for 20 years, okay, because what happens is the next step, while they're, under, while they're enslaved, they're going to cry out to God. Okay, and that's verse 3. This is Sisera. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Okay, we're just running the same pattern, the exact same pattern. Okay, but they have been, think about it, 80 years of freedom, and suddenly they've been under uh, slavery for 20 years under a cruel and harsh uh, regime. So, step five, God raises a judge. Here we go. Verse four, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Okay? So, the judge that God has raised up is a lady by the name of Deborah. Right? And then the final step, through Deborah, 
Israel is delivered. And that is the rest of Judges 4. And that's how, that's where we're going to go. Now, after the time of Ehud, we see that God raises Deborah to be the judge of Israel. Now, just a few things about Deborah that we need to understand, which really stands out in this passage. Okay? First and foremost, she's a woman. Okay? Now, there are 12 judges in this time between Joshua and the kings. 12 judges. There is only one woman, and that's Deborah. Okay? Not only was she a judge, but she was also a prophet. Okay? A prophet meaning that she was a preacher and teacher of the word. Okay? That was what she was doing. She wasn't a soldier. Okay? Now, we see in verse 5, uh, she held court for people to come and have their disputes decided. Now, the picture that we get of Deborah is literally one of the courtroom judges. Okay? We don't get the Ehud warrior kind of judge and some of these other guys like Samson, Gideon, and whatnot. Deborah is a, a judge. And the picture that we get of her is that she is a wise, discerning teacher and preacher of the word. She is not a warrior. She is a wise ruler that helped the people through their day-to-day disputes. The way that God uses her is not because of her strength as a warrior, but through her wisdom and her leadership. And this is what makes her different from every other judge, because every other judge is used because of their strength and because of their, uh, their ferocity but not Deborah, okay? Now, Deborah calls for a soldier named Barak, okay? Verse 6, she sent for Barak, son of Abnom, from Kadesh in Naphtali, Naphtali, good job, Naphtali, let's just call it that, and said to him, the Lord the God of Israel commands you, go take with you a, a 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Okay, but this is important. But Barak replies to her in verse 8, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, this is important. Okay? Deborah, the judge, right? The ruler of Israel has commanded Barak and said, God said, go and do this. And Barak replies to Deborah and says, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go, then I'm not going to go. It sounds like when females have to go to the toilet together, which is still one of those mysteries that men just don't understand, right? <laughs> Do you want to go to the toilet? Yeah, let's go together. It's like, what? That's gross. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what does this show us about Barak? And what I want you to see, what I want you to see in, these, um, in this story are the people, okay? What do we see about Barak? is that he did not trust Deborah's commandment from God, right? 
So when she said, God said, go, he was like, oh, yeah, but if you go, I'll go with you. I know it kind of sounds a little far-fetched, but, but Barak, as much as he's a, he's a fearful, fearless warrior, he actually is a faithless, fearful warrior. He doesn't trust God. The consequence is found in verse 9. And this is what Deborah says. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course that you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of the woman. Because of Barak's lack of faith, honor that could have been his, could have been bestowed to him, will now not be taken, will not be his, but will be given to someone else. Now this is Barak. So we got Deborah, the wise, discerning leader. And now you got Barak, the vicious soldier, yet faithless, yet not trusting in God. Verse 11. Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Herbab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree of Zananim near Kedesh. Now, if you read the whole passage and you read that, you just go, huh? It's this random verse, okay? But this random verse is going to become really important later down the track. But you just need to understand, there's a dude called Heber. And he, what you need to understand is, he has broken off from mainstream Israel. And he has moved. But where he has moved is closer to the enemy. That's all you need to know for now. He has broken off from Israel and moved closer to the enemy. And we'll see We'll see why this is important later. So, it's battle time. Barak takes 10,000 men. And in verse 12, we see that Sisera takes his men and chariots fitted with iron to the Kishon River. Verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Ta- went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible and we see God's great victories, we just assume that, of course, that was going to happen. But I just want to take a moment for us to understand the magnitude of what that verse shows and what the actual battle was like. Now, you've got to understand, if, you, if I show you the picture of the battle, right, you've got the Israelites, right, that are, they're a mixed bunch of people. You've got a few soldiers in there, you've got farmers, you know, you've got a mixed bag. But, but Barak takes 10,000, okay, just men, fighting men, and he takes them up to Mount Tabor, okay, mountains. Okay, now you got Sisera, okay, the commanding army officer of the opposition. And what we know about is his army is ruthless and they are undefeatable because of these 900 chariots that are fitted with iron. The Bible says it a few times fitted with iron. Now, you might kind of think, well, there's a chariot, you know, horse, chariot, one man in the chariot, and then you got men, right? But you got to understand. It's not really a comparison. Chariots just went over people, right? It just went over people. And so on, on, on a humanistic perspective, 10,000 soldiers were no match for 900 chariots and their army, right? Not only that, not only were they outnumbered and out-armored, you got to think, right? Chariots, they 
are the most uh, deadly, what? On flat surface, right? So if I've got 10,000 men and I don't have any chariots and the enemy's got chariots, where am I going to fight them? I'm going to fight them in the mountain because you can't really ride chariots up and down mountains as easy as if it was flat. But what happens is Deborah says, go up to the mountain and when I give you the signal, meet me on the riverbed. On the riverbed. And you kind of think, why would you do that? That's suicide. You know, Sisera, who's being led out to the riverbed, would have been thinking, mate, this is in the bag. I got this. It's easy. Right? So, you get to this situation, and the verse just says, at Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Sisera and all the chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down and ran away. That's it. That's the whole massive army in like that one verse, right? And it doesn't give you too much detail. But if you jump to the next chapter, which is Judges chapter 5, you actually see a chapter called Deborah's Song, right? And, and it's a song that is written by Deborah after these events happen to honor God and to praise Him. And we find a little bit more detail on what actually happened in the battle. And we see this in Judges chapter 5, verse 20. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. And when you read into the commentaries and you read into the historical facts, what happened was, as the Israelites were coming down from the mountain and as the enemy was on the river bed, out of nowhere, there was a flash flood. And a flood just turned up. This water, this, this rain just turned up from the skies, and the Bible says the, the heavens, just turned up and pretty much just went straight through the army of the enemy. It doesn't matter how fitted you are as a chariot, you can't beat rain. You can't beat a flood. And so the flood went through, ripped up all the chariots and all the enemy. And so by the time that the soldiers came down, everyone was already on the floor. The chariots are out of order. They don't have maintenance. And so the 10,000 soldiers came in and went, oh, sweet. And, you know. And it says every single one of them was taken out. You've got to understand, you've got to understand, even though sometimes the Bible doesn't go into depth about how magnificent that army and that defeat was, you've got to understand the picture. It's not a, oh, God just won again. Yes, God did just win again, but you've got to see the odds again. Israel should not have won the battle, and yet they did comfortably. All in God's plans. But there's more to the story. In verse 16 of chapter 4, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, okay? And all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, this is the commander, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, the king of Hazar, and the family of Heba the Kenite. Remember that verse, that random verse, right? That one guy, right? Heba the Kenite. He was rebellious and he moved. He moved from mainstream Israel and he moved close to the enemy. And we see in more detail, he actually 
behind the back of God and behind the back of all of his own people, he, he made an alliance with the enemy. Right? He made an alliance with the enemy. And so when Sisera, his whole army gets wiped out, he, his chariot is useless, he gets on his foot and he starts running and he goes, where can I hide? Where can I hide? And he goes, oh, Heba the Kenite is an alliance with my king. I'm near his place. Let's go hang there. Right? So he finds this place. And Sisera comes in for a place of rest and safety. Now, uh, uh, Jael... Right, is the wife of the trader. And she does what she's meant to do. She welcomes in Sisera, right? Because they have an alliance. Not only welcomes him into her tent, okay? Uh, she provides him hospitality. She covers him up with a blanket and she gives him milk. Sounds like a baby. I know. There's a whole historical, theological thing about that as well. But I'm not going to go into that. Verse 20. Stand at the doorway of the tent, he told her. And if anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. Is my enemy in there? Oh, no, of course not. He's not in here. <laughs> we see this hilarious story where, where Caesarea has found rest and safety in his alliance and their house. And he goes to sleep. Why? Because he believes that he is protected and he is safe. But this is not the case. Verse 21. Ready? But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through the, his temple into the ground and he died. Amen. Men, find a woman like Jael. Or is it run from a woman like Jael? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this relates to marriage. I mean, luckily, we're not talking about marriage. Jael is an interesting character, right? To put it simply, Jael, or Jael, maybe that's her name, because who wants to be called Jael? You had a kid and you called them Jael. What were you thinking, parents? You know, Jael, that sounds nicer, Jael. I'm sure it is Jael, actually. She's a nobody. So you've got, okay, remember... Remember the characters, right? You've got Deborah, the judge, the wise judge that rules in wisdom and discernment. And you've got Barak, and he's a fearless warrior, and yet he, he's, he's faithless. And then you've got Jael, who is the wife of a traitor, right? She just turns up in this story and becomes the hero of the story. Now, to put a bit of context in, right, the whole tent peg thing, right, it was the woman's job. Okay, don't blame me. It's not my fault. I didn't create that culture. But it was the woman's job to put up the tent. Okay? Should be everyone's job. We live in a society of equality, right? But anyway, she knew how to deal with a tent peg and a hammer. Because that's what they did. They just, you know, when they went around and made tents, that was her job. So she knew what she was doing. But check this out. Caesar is a commander of an army. He's a warrior. If she missed, or if he woke up, that's, that's game over for her. That's game over for her. The risk that she had to take in, in, in courageously taking out this enemy, the risk was everything. One miss, she's gone. Not only that, she, her husband had an alliance with the king. 
She had to submit under that alliance, and yet she did not. That made, that made her uh, 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 an enemy of treason, punishable by death. If this did not go well for her, that was the end of her life. The risk was amazing. So she kills Sisera in a violent death, right? And then the rest of the story, uh, Barak turns up and then Jael says, hey, I found the guy, but you took a little while, so I killed him. <laughs> you know, I took care of it for you, you know. And then the rest of the story goes on that Sisera and the army was now defeated, um, Deborah and, and, the, and the Israelites would then go after Jabin, the king of Canaan, and then he would be defeated. And once again, Israel would be at peace. And we see, coming us, uh, we see it coming back to square one of the cycle. Violence. I, I love these stories. I love, as we read the Bible... You know, we, we just read these amazing stories of God's victories, of how God works. And last week, we really focused in on this idea of how God was in control. And that's still the same here. At the end of the day, Israel sinned. God gave them over. God raised up Deborah. God's the one that, you know, moved uh, Heba and, and Jael into that spot, created that alliance, and then, and then gave courage to Jael to do what she needed to do. At the end of the day, it's all in the hands of God. And that's what we saw last week. We're going to see this this week, and we're going to continue to see that. But tonight, I want us to take away three things, okay, uh, as we finish up. And the first one is that God is in control, right? you got Deborah, you got Barak, and you got Tenpeg Lady Jail, right? But at the end of the day, none of them, none of them is the hero of the story. The hero is God and God alone, okay? The victory came because of God and God alone. Don't ever be fooled. Don't ever be fooled to give any kind of credit or exaltation where it does not belong. Give honor where honor is due. And in this story, the honor is not due to the tent-peg lady. It's not to the faithless warrior. It's not to the wise judge at all. It is God and God alone. Because without God, none of this would have happened. You know that line, you can't even make this stuff up. You can't. But it is in God's perfect plan with his perfect timing. That's the first thing that we need to continue to understand is that God is in control. The second takeaway that we need to uh, go, go away with this week is this, is, is God can use anyone. God can use anyone. We see three different characters, different positions and different situations. Their strengths and their weaknesses, God uses them to fulfill his purposes. As said, Deborah, the wise prophet and judge, Barak, the strong soldier, yet faithless, and you have ten-peg lady who is a nobody. And God uses each of them for their specific purposes. And this should be an encouragement to each and every one of us. As we ask, this, ask ourselves the question, God, how will you use us? Will you use us? You know, so many of us, we don't even, it, it is not even in our minds that God would use someone like me for his purposes. Let's be honest. We look at people like 
you know, people on the worship team and you go, wow, God's really using them. You know, you got like the life group leaders and you go, wow, God's really using them. Look at how strong they are. Look how wise they are. And then, you, you know, you look at the, the welcoming hospitality and you go, wow, God's really using them. You know, they're so gifted and whatnot. And, and we kind of think, nah, God, God can't use me. Who am I? You know, I, I barely get to church. I'm never on time. I don't even know how to spell God. It's the opposite of dog, by the way, just letting you know. You know, I don't, I don't even know how to read the Bible. I don't, I don't even know how to pray. How can God use someone like me? But the Bible continues to tell us that God can and will use not our skills and our, availability, and our abilities, but He will use our availabilities. Can I tell you that once again? God does not look at us about what we can and can't do, but God looks at us and, and, and says, will you? Will you make yourself available? Will you make yourself available for me to use? You know, one of the biggest myths, right? One of the biggest myths, and let me break this here and now, that God can only use your strength. That's a complete lie. That's a complete lie. Because there are people that are amazing. There, there are people that are so gifted by God. And God uses them. And you know what? But there are sometimes, there are gifted people that God chooses not to use either. And it's not because God doesn't choose to use them. They just don't make themselves available. But the lie, uh, the truth is this. God cannot only, God does not only use our strength, but He uses our weaknesses as well. God can and will use our weaknesses for His kingdom. It's not about just what you're good at. But it's about whether you make yourself available. Whether you make yourself available to God. Can I tell you, in our church, people who serve in our ministries, let me tell you, I love them very much and I'm so grateful for them. But we don't pick them because of their looks. Okay? Jokes. We do some. We have a very good looking church, I think. You know? If you're like, who? Okay, just leave it at that, okay? We don't, we don't give you, we, it's not an interview process and go, okay, so how many years have you been on missions before and how many years have you been going to church? And, you know, we're not like the world. That's what makes us different from the world. The world will say we can only use your strength. Your weakness will, will be a burden to our organization. But God says, I can use your strength and your weakness as long as you make yourself available for me. You know, one of the saddest things as I, as I minister at church and look at churches and meet people is see these anointed people that are so skilled and they are so talented and they are doing nothing for the kingdom or for themselves. And I just think, what a waste that is. And then on the, on the same page, I see these people and I, you know, I just think, man, I don't know how they're going to get along in life. You know, I don't know how they're ever going to get a job, how they're ever going to get married. I don't know. And, and you just think, man, you know, you just... And, and as I said, these are the stereotypes that we have in our mind. And God's saying He and now to completely banish all of them because He can use anyone He wants. He can use your strength. He can use your weakness. Can I tell you one thing? 
He can use the damaged pieces in your life. He can use the brokenness in your life. He can use the addictions that you're going through in your life. He can use the broken past that you have in your life, the baggage that you carry around in your life. He can take the ugly and make it beautiful in His time because that's what His Word says. You've got to start believing this. You've got to believe this. I myself am living proof that, <laughs> I heard this term, and it's so not biblical, but it, it kind of works, but I'll just say it. You can polish the turd. <laughs> you guys know what that means? You can polish a turd to make it shiny. If you don't know what that means, Google it later. God can use anyone from any background, from any situation. And can I tell you this for future reference as well? And this is really important because you might not have stuffed up in your life. You might not have baggage in your life. You might not have brokenness in your life yet. But when you get there and you break and you make a mistake and you fall over and you feel like, oh my God, I've disqualified myself Remind yourself of this message. It's not that God didn't know this already about you. He can use you and continue to use you till the very end as long as you make yourself available. Not ability, but availability. God can use anyone. The third takeaway that we need to understand is this. The cycle continues. Man, I'd love to say that Israel, you know, through the leadership of Deborah, had the greatest time ever, and then that was it. You know, they never stuffed up again, and then they just continued to worship God, and they went strength to strength. You know what? Next week, I'm just going to preach on the next time they stuffed up, and it wasn't even 80 years this time. They didn't even make 80 years. The cycle continues. The peace will end. Deborah will die. The evil will return. God's people will need saving again. And here's the truth about our broken humanity is that we are in this cycle. The Bible continues to tell us of this cycle of, of failure and failure and faithlessness and faithlessness and us walking away from God and disappointing God. And we're going to continue and continue and continue. And you know what? If I was a historian of Israel at that point, I'd be like, what's the point? When will this end? When will this end? God, you say you're going to save us. And you keep sending these judges to save us and we're grateful. And then, then the judge dies and then we have to be saved again because we're idiots. When will the cycle end? And the Old Testament will continue to show us this cycle, not only under a judge, but under a king. And then God will send prophets with those kings. You know, just because they're a king doesn't mean they're a good king. There are actually in the Bible more evil kings than good kings of Israel. Just because you're a leader of God doesn't necessarily mean you're a good leader. Okay? When will the cycle end? Because it goes on and on and on. But as we have the privilege of having the whole Bible, the whole story of God, we know that there is an end to the cycle. 
And we know that even though Israel in this time of the judges, will, they will have no idea when this, they're not going to get there. It's going to be centuries and centuries of this continual pattern of sin and salvation and sin and salvation and sin and salvation. But there will be a point. There will be a point as Israel continues to cry out, as God's people continue to cry out, where the cycle will end, where not just the judge and not just the king, but the great judge and the everlasting king, and his name is Jesus. And when he comes to earth, that's when the cycle is broken. That's when our sin is saved forever and ever and ever. So you've got to understand this. Because this is really important for us to understand the whole picture. This is why Jesus is not just, oh, yay, Jesus, I want to be on team Jesus. No, you've got to understand what Jesus came and did when he died on the cross and he took the penalty for our sin. What he did was he broke that cycle. God raised up the great judge, the eternal king. And there was peace in the land. And the peace in the land will run forever, for all eternity. This is what makes Jesus stand out compared to every other judge and king. This is why we come to Jesus. This is why we worship him. It's not because he just did something good for us. No, he saved us and continues to save us and save us and save us. Now, you might be wondering, well, why do I keep sinning? Because you know what? I look at that cycle and I'm like, in my life, I kind of feel like I'm living out that cycle every day. Right? And can I tell you, it's not because Jesus hasn't come and gone that sin, uh, that, that, that sin uh, still exists. It's because the world we live in is still the broken world. But friends, the Bible tells us that there will be a time. There will be a time where this world will end. And I know for none of, none of us woke up this morning and thought, maybe today will be the day that Jesus comes back. No one thought that. Everyone thought about what they're doing today, what they're going to do tomorrow. I promise you, no one thought that. But there will be a day. There will be a day. And Jesus says himself, I will return. I will return to come and take my people home. And he will, as the great judge, he will judge you and your life. And he will say, do you know me? Do you know me? Is your name written in the book of life? And many on that day, and the Bible tells us, many on that day will cry out the name of Jesus. And Jesus will look back at them and say, I'm sorry, I do not know you. And at that point, the cycle is over, but that, not only is the cycle over, the world is over as we know it. And you either end up in one or two, right? You either end up with God or without God, and that's the rest of your eternity. That's it. That's what the Bible teaches us, and that's what we believe. That's why Jesus, the great prophet, priest, and king, that's why we come and worship him and come to know him, and we enter in relationship with him. Even now, so many people in the world are stuck in this cycle. And it's the only way out of the cycle is through the great judge and the everlasting king. That we can find rest for our souls with God in a place that he has prepared for us. Only Jesus can break the cycle. 
Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, a verse that we're going to read in December. You know, you've read in December so many times. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his, his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And this man is Jesus. And this is who our great judge and our everlasting king is. This is our eternal savior. God is in control. Doesn't matter what situation you're in, God is in control. Number two, God can use anybody. If you make yourself available, God can use you. Please let God use you. And finally, the cycle will continue, but there is an end. Be reminded that there is an end, and his name is Jesus. I pray that tonight that you would be challenged and you would be driven closer to Jesus as we just call out to him. Man, we live in a broken world. I can't, I can't tell you, just watch the news, read the newspapers. Think about your relationships. Is everything working fine and dandy for you? It's not. Why? Because we live in a sinful and a broken world. And the only way that this cycle will ever end is one that can defeat that cycle. And his name is Jesus. And I pray that as we continue this journey, that you'd get to know him more. You'd make yourself available to him more. And that you'd let him have control over your life. Let's pray.